Some topics in this podcast series deal with sensitive subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. The National Principles for Child Safe Organisations reflects 10 child safe standards recommended by the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. These principles aim to provide Australia with a nationally consistent approach to creating organisational cultures that foster child safety and well-being. They have a broader scope that goes beyond child sexual abuse to cover other forms of potential harm to children and young people. This podcast series, brought to you by ComplySpace and Brave Hearts, unpacks each of the 10 principles, their implications and ways to apply them. Hi everyone, I'm Deborah Defina, Principal Consultant in Child Protection at ComplySpace. And I'm Matt Sinclair, the National Child Protection Training Manager at Brave Hearts. Um, you're listening to our series of podcasts about the national principles for child safe organisations. Today we will be talking to um, Commissioner Bob Atkinson, who was a commissioner with the Royal Commission of, into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, and who is also, I understand, a Brave Hearts ambassador. Yes. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name's Bob Atkinson. It's nice to be here today with uh, Deborah and Matt, and um, I look forward to our discussion that we're about to have uh, about these matters. Um, so we'll start with talking about the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse, and we're going to call that the Royal Commission for short because it's a handful of a, yes. of a name. So, Bob, can you tell us in general what exactly is a Royal Commission? Okay, thanks. Well, my take on it is that it's the highest level of inquiry that we can have in Australia uh, to what has evolved as an important contemporary issue for the Australian community. Uh, it's a, a national inquiry. Each state can have a commission of inquiry, uh, but a Royal Commission is a federal national perspective. Um, a Royal Commission is approved by the Governor-General of the day and the Prime Minister of the day. Uh, in our case, uh, I think momentum had built up for quite some time leading up to the announcement by Julia Gillard in uh, November 2012 that there would be a Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse and I agree, let's call it the Royal Commission <laughs> because that is, um, that is quite a mouthful. Uh, a Royal Commission has significant powers. Um, people can be required to give evidence. Uh, but a protection for them, of course, is that if they are required to give evidence, then the evidence they give can't be used against them in any other jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. um, a bit like in some ways uh, a coroner's uh, inquiry uh, or um, uh, an oversight body that might have powers to um, subpoena people to give evidence. Um, uh, as well, a Royal Commission has the power to um, subpoena documents. Uh, and in the life of uh, our Royal Commission, uh, there were millions of documents that were obtained yeah. as part of that. Uh, and a Royal Commission um, is, of course, bound by its terms of reference. And uh, our terms of reference were fairly uh, comprehensive. Um, initially, the Royal Commission was given a three-year term, but so many people came forward that the government of the day extended it to five years. Mm. So we went from the beginning of uh, 2000, in January 2013, the terms of reference were given to us, uh, identifying the six commissioners, including the chair, um, and the extension meant that we finished in December 2017, mm. five years later. So you mentioned that um, there was some momentum building up before 
um, our Royal Commission. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, about why Australia had a, a Royal Commission into institutional responses to child sexual abuse? Like, how did it come about and what were the terms of reference like? Yeah, thanks, Deb. Uh, look, and of course, this is just my take on that as yeah. well. But um, momentum, I think, had been building for quite some years um, from a number of areas. From the media, uh, oh. there was a journalist named Joanne McCarthy, who is someone I think uh, did wonderful work. And might I say that uh, her work commenced at a time when this wasn't um, a subject that people were at all comfortable with in any sense. So she was uh, outspoken in terms of things that had happened at Newcastle for quite a while. Um, right. And uh, uh, other avenues, of course, um, apart from the media or organisations like Braveheart, who had campaigned uh, for a long time for a Royal Commission. Uh, there had been inquiries of... Um, uh, uh, in states um, where I guess the it could be said that the need for a larger inquiry such as a Royal Commission nationally um, was evidenced. Um, in a book that I'm just reading at the moment called uh, Cardinal written by Louise Milligan uh, she in chapter 10 of that book uh, it's headed to the title of that chapter is called Two Country Cops and she talks about the work of uh, a police officer in the Victoria Police named Kevin Carson, who had, um, in his view, identified a number of suicides in the Ballarat area mm. um, that were directly related to child sexual abuse, and that had um, hit the media in mm. Victoria. And then subsequently, and more recently, in terms of the announcement of the Royal Commission, a detective inspector in the New South Wales Police named Peter Fox who was at Newcastle, had also gone public in terms of his concerns at the time uh, about, um, in his view, uh, the fact okay. that um, investigations into child sexual abuse in the Newcastle area hadn't been as comprehensive or mm. complete oh. as perhaps they should have been. That's my take again on, on his perspective. Uh, and it was soon after uh, Peter Fox had gone public um, that Julia Gillard announced the Royal Commission. Now, whether what Peter Fox did was the tipping point for her and the associated publicity, I don't know. Um, but many, many people say, excuse me, many people say that um, probably, um, apart from being the first woman to be the Prime Minister of Australia, that the next thing that Julia Gillard will be remembered for will be the um, introduction mm, of, of this Royal Commission. Yeah. And it was, in fact, I give speeches on this on occasion, and it, in fact, it was the la her last. Um, act as Prime Minister was to establish the Royal Commission. Mm. Mm. Yes, mm. yes, yes, yeah. So um, uh, a very significant um, step, uh, but one that, um, as I understand it, brought with it almost immediately support nationally and um, obviously, presumably, um, the, well, Julia Gillard and the people involved in the government at that time did this, but all Australian states uh, established commissions of inquiries yeah. Yeah. with identical or almost identical terms of reference as well, uh, which is perhaps a unique thing, and it certainly meant that we had the currency, if you like, of the support of each state. Yeah. Um, and uh, and as well, my understanding of it was that there was bipartisan support for the Royal Commission as well from the yeah. opposition, who would then become the government in the life of the Royal yeah. Commission. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start... Um, you know, the Royal Commission obtaining millions of documents. Um, let's talk a little bit about how the Royal Commission went about investigating institutional responses to child sexual abuse. Like, how did it operate? Mm. 
Yeah, the methodology was uh, consistent with the terms of reference. Uh, the methodology was threefold. Uh, firstly, what was called private sessions. In the terms of reference, it said, and this is me paraphrasing because I haven't got them in front of me now, um, but that we were to talk to um, the victims and survivors of abuse, mm. to listen to their story as to what had happened to them, and to give them an opportunity to make recommendations for mm. change. Um, now, uh, if I could come back to that mm. later. So that was the first part, conducting those hearings. With, and, and I'm very much aware that some people do not like the term um, survivor and some people do not like the term victim. Mm. Um, but it was a term that we did use in the report, acknowledging that some people were uncomfortable with it. And um, perhaps mm. the, the more contemporary uh, term is people with lived experience of abuse mm. and, and acknowledge that. The second um, was the area that got the most publicity, understandably, and that was the uh, public hearings, which are rather, in a sense, like court cases, mm. um, which were presided over by one of the two judges. There were, of course, six commissioners. The mm. chair, Peter McClellan, was a Supreme Court judge from New South Wales, and the other judge was Jennifer Cope from Victoria. Uh, they presided over the public hearings with usually uh, at least one, sometimes two of the other commissioners. And on occasions, all six of the commissioners would be mm. part of a public hearing um, chaired by uh, mm. Justice McClellan. Um, we, we conducted quite a few of those uh, nationally. Uh, and again, I can come back to that if you wish. I think there was 57 in total mm. public hearings throughout Australia. Mm. And we tried to have what I would probably call a vertical slice, uh, where we tried to go to every state uh, and mm. cover every area of institutional uh, abuse. Mm. Uh, and the third, which uh, really didn't receive much publicity or awareness at all, but it was an equally part of the methodology, was a major research program uh, yes. with a number of Australian universities. Uh, and uh, we uh, produced 59 research reports in the life of the Royal Commission. Mm. And my recollection is that almost every one of those concluded with the observation that this had been an area where um, there'd been a lack of research yes. and where yeah. the further research would be important and necessary. So that was essentially the methodology, uh, private sessions, public hearings and research. And all three of those informed the final report, didn't they? They did, they did. This, they provided um, the basis for the uh, recommendations of the Royal Commission, which at the end of the day totaled 409, is quite a lot. Mm. Um, but... Um, uh, in particular, the research and the public hearings provided the evidentiary base in terms of underpinning um, the recommendations. Not that the private sessions weren't important, um, but you do need evidence, um, clear evidence, in terms of making a recommendation. And it must have been, over that five-year period, the, the countless people that you, you met with and, and the public hearings that you were a part of, that your own knowledge grew about the issues and the dynamics of how abuse occurs in institutions, which would have enriched each and every public hearing and case mm. study. Your inquiries as you went along must have been a huge learning curve for anybody. Indeed it was, um, and um, it's slightly embarrassing to acknowledge this, but it's true. Um, I had 44 years in the police department, uh, 12 as commissioner, 20 years oh. as a detective, uh, and there were things that um, I heard in private sessions, uh, and to some extent in public hearings, and the knowledge and that we became aware of, particularly through the research and talking to people in the field and experts in the field, uh, that I had not been aware of previously at all. Mm. Um, mm. One of the most compelling aspects, uh, Matt, was that, um, and Deborah, was that um, in all of the private sessions I was involved with, there was one common theme, 
which demonstrated, I think, the character and, and also courage of the people who were good enough to come forward, and that was that they put themselves through the private session in terms of talking to someone they'd never met and didn't know about what had happened to them, the most deeply hurtful personal yes. um, experiences that they'd been subject to. Uh, and the enormous betrayal of trust by the perpetrators, and their purpose consistently was that they didn't want to see what had happened to them happen to another child in the future. Mm. And, and I just thought that was just an outstanding aspect of their character in terms of being prepared mm. to come and forward. why they came forward. Support mm. the work of the Royal Commission, mm. absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the strength of an inquiry of the, with the powers of the Royal Commission mm. and, the, and the reach of which it had over that period of time is that it was able to come up with these 409 mm. recommendations mm. that could affect change and bring about change. And, and it's conversations like this, which is an example of the, the power of the work that, that, you, um, mm. that, you, that you conducted over that period of time. But it, the conversation's still going. Mm, that's yeah, right, yeah. Which, which is an amazing thing. And that's so important. Um, uh, look, I can't speak for the other five commissioners, but I do feel comfor comfortable to say, and I think we reflected it in the final report, uh, that what was terribly important was that the momentum that had been established during the Royal Commission, uh, and that was because of everyone's involvement, uh, that that momentum continue. And, um, mm. uh, and the Royal Commission, of course, was confined to institutional child sexual abuse. And um, in the, uh, the, I think it was chapter one of the, uh, the 17 volumes of the final report, mm. uh, the, the observation was made by Justice McClellan uh, that sadly the reality is that, that today, whilst uh, institutional child sexual abuse uh, is an important issue, a terribly important issue, that statistically far more children are abused in a family setting in terms of familial abuse. Um, so that uh, the, the, we were concerned, I guess, that people might say, well, that's done and dusted, uh, but it's not. Um, there's far more to be done, and it's great to see the momentum continuing. I guess that, that moves us on to our next topic, which is about the, um, the national principles for child-safe organisations. So in Volume 6 of the final report, the Royal Commission recommended a set of nationally consistent standards for child-safe organisations that would be mandatory um, for all child-related organisations. Why did the, Re the Royal Commission recommend that, um, and how will those standards help to kid keep kids safe in the future? Uh, I think... Well, that's a, they're good questions. Um, I think that, <laughs> Sorry, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a loaded question. No, well, it'll come back to me if I miss any of it. Um, but uh, I th the Royal Commission, I think, wanted to ensure as much as possible, consistent with the terms of reference, that we um, do all we could uh, to help uh, prevent abuse in the future. Uh, and um, that's how, I guess, that, that aspect of trying to prevent abuse in the future, the Royal Commission came up with the uh, 10 child safe standards. Um, but they didn't do that internally or individually. They did it through wide consultation with many, many people who were very qualified in this area. Um, and the final product of the 10 recommendations or the 10 child safe standards I should say, um, was one that we felt very comfortable and safe with putting forward mm. and even in, in its developmental stage had been very well received. Um, of all of the work that was done by the Royal Commission, for me personally, 
Uh, if you ask me what's the most single important thing that came out of it, I would say the 10 child safe standards for institutions. And I think the very first of those um, is, is uh, I, I think the 10 of them sequentially uh, are um, a spot on. I'll, you're probably expecting me to say that, I think, <laughs> having been part of all of this. Um, but but um, if I could just um, reference the first one, and that is, uh, the, sorry, the first part of the first one. The first one is that child safety is embedded in institutional leadership, governance and culture. And then the subheading, the first subheading under that is the institution publicly commits to child safety and leaders champion a child safe culture. And then the second one is child safety is a shared responsibility at all levels of the institution. So to me, those two things mm. in that first standard of leadership in the culture of the organisation, mm -hmm. the institution, its culture are absolutely critical. That old saying I think is true, that culture will eat strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, and yes. You need to internalise in the organisation and have leadership that supports the culture that says our primary purpose here is to have a child safe institution. Children mm -hmm. come first. And, and talking about that, about leadership and culture, why is it also important for the people um, who work on the ground in child-related organisations, so the kids themselves, the staff, the volunteers, the contractors, why is it important for them to understand the child safe standards? Uh, because, uh, I think, uh, because one of the terrible aspects uh, of child abuse uh, was and still is uh, that it's terribly difficult for the child uh, who's the victim of it to say anything or do anything about it. Um, so there needs to be a number of things. There needs to be a situation where no matter how terrible uh, the circumstance for the child, the child feel, feels able to talk to someone else about it mm. and through educational programs to be aware that what happened uh, or, is be, or is about to happen or if the child is being groomed, mm. what is happening in that space is not right and there is someone they can talk to about it. Mm. Um, and it needs as part of that that, that staff at all levels, uh, through again educational programs, uh, are aware of the signs and indications um, yes. uh, as well. Could I just digress? Uh, sure, one, one, of the, one of the stunning things for me in, in the private sessions that I was so privileged mm. to um, take part in and listen to the stories of people was that over and over and over again um, I heard stories about people um, who as a child had radically changed behaviour. So they'd gone, for example, if they were being abused at school, they'd gone from being a really good student, well-behaved, good results, mm. to being disruptive, unruly, truanting, um, and aggressive behaviour. And, and no one, no one ever said to mm. that child, why has your behaviour mm. changed? Is there something wrong? Those kids were just branded as having become naughty or bad children. Yeah. So for staff to be aware and that level of awareness and alertness that there could be something happening here, you mm. know? Yeah. Mm. So, just so important. Mm. And it speaks to those uh, the other episodes of this series is around the importance of the education and training and being able to mm. identify sooner what we would commonly refer to as red flags or those mm. changes in behaviour and giving uh, a practitioner, be it a teacher or a sports coach, or whoever in a child-facing organisation, the, the skills, but also the motivation to be inquisitive and just ask the question, I've noticed mm. this, mm. Uh, you know, is everything okay? Is there mm. anything you'd like to talk about? 
Exactly, and, and uh, that's why that leadership and internal culture are just so important, <clears throat> that the culture of the organisation has to be one where not only can a staff member feel confident and comfortable in raising it up the chain of command or in the hierarchy of the organisation, but will be supported mm. and encouraged to do that. Mm. Um, and, and that can only, you, you can have all the rules and documents and policies and procedures in the world, um, but in any organisation, in any institution, uh, there'll be the reality of just the rhetoric of those mm. policies and procedures match the reality of the internal culture of the organisation. Mm. Uh, in other words, when the rubber hits the road, what mm. really happens? Mm. And mm. the Royal Commission did see that, didn't we, in um, a number of the hearings? So some of the organisations that, that we looked at were, the policies were all there, Correct. but nothing yeah. happened. Deb, that's exactly right. And in some cases, the, there was the most extraordinary um, ways that people um, conspired or mm. found to circumnavigate those policies and weave around them. Mm. And it, to my mind, that all came back to a couple of things. It, it came back to, obviously, a lack of leadership and courage mm. in doing the right thing. Uh, but it came back to protecting the reputation of of the organisation or institution, mm. and it came back to protecting colleagues uh, who were involved in the abuse. Mm. Those two things were mm. repeated over and over and mm. over. Yeah, and it, it, it is around that that commitment and how that how that commitment can be effectively communicated from the top down. I would often say it's the tone from the top. Um, mm. and, and finding strategies that work and evaluating those initiatives if they're not working, constantly mm. checking in and um, getting feedback from people working directly with the children in the centres or mm. the schools or the clubs to make sure that that message is mm. getting through. It's, it's critically important. Mm. And it's one of the other principles is that regular evaluation, which is one of the other really critical ones. Mm, absolutely, you yeah, know that, that that if we had to try and sum of all of this up in in just a few minutes and a few words, <clears throat> that would be the key to it. I think, yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Yeah, one of my main questions was, so the, the Royal Commission's recommendations, and um, it's quite amazing to hear you say that that you think that's the most important because I I agree and I'm quite pleased to hear that <laughs> from you. Um, is that the standards that have become principles now and they've been adopted by the Australian Human Rights Commission. Um, what do you see as some of the... Are, are there differences? And are those differences important? And Look, Deb would probably be able to correct me on this because she has uh, a more recent contemporary uh, knowledge of these things. But my understanding is that um, they're very similar, almost mm. identical. Is mm. that how they're, you see They're very it? similar, but um, yeah. I think the national principles are broader. The, the language is a bit more broad because necessarily the Royal Commission was focused on child sexual mm. abuse in institutions and the national principles have to go broader than that and talk about child safety in other areas, so physical abuse and neglect and grooming and all those other sorts of things that don't necessarily relate just to sexual abuse. So they're broader in that respect. Yeah, and that's, and that's likely, a well, not likely, it is mm. a, a positive thing because you rightly said that that scope was around institutional abuse and we know that statistically there's quite a lot of abuse that happens outside of an institutional mm. context. Mm. These new principles allow and encourage organisations to be um, aware of abuse that may be happening outside mm. of an organisation and to detect that it's mm. not just about liability or responsibility for what happens by its employees and volunteers, mm. but 
recognising those indicators right. for abuse happening outside. Yeah, no, that's terribly important, um, and um, I agree with you about that, that uh, knowing, and, and I don't know that anyone knows exactly the statistics on it, but um, certainly the vast, vast majority, I think some would say as much as 90% of child mm. sexual abuse is occurs in a familial setting. Mm. So for people in institutions, uh, even though it's um, an important uh, but perhaps heavy burden to bear, uh, if they see a child who they think um, is the victim of abuse uh, in a familial setting, mm. uh, at least it's a starting point mm. for them to be able to take steps to try and uh, explore and examine whether that is mm. occurring for that child. Um, and uh, uh, I don't think we can underestimate the just the importance of having the courage to step forward and do that. Um, to my mind, um, the, the abuse of a child uh, in any form, whether that's emotional abuse or physical yeah. abuse, but I think do think particularly sexual abuse uh, is a terrible, terrible thing. And, and in some ways um, I liken it to a, a brutal and violent robbery. Mm. But instead of having your phone and your watch and your wallet stolen or, or something like mm. that, what is stolen from the child uh, is their well-being and their potential in life. It's just ripped away from them. Mm. So... Um, I, we all have a responsibility in this space, but if the opportunity is there through something that you see mm. to take it further, um, and hopefully you'll be supported in doing that, then I think we all have the responsibility to do that. And as you yeah. said, that's that's what the national principles are all about, yeah. creating child-safe organisations so there is at least one place where the child is safe and where they can be responded yeah. to appropriately. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and for me it's also about, it's more than just reporting abuse that you know has occurred or responding mm. to a disclosure. Mm. It's about recognising earlier signs mm. and it's not mm. just about sexual mm. abuse, which is mm. yeah, creating that culture where it's about enriching children's lives. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Another aspect uh, in terms of the private sessions that, um, and again, this is just a personal perspective that came through to me, though, was where, and, and everyone who'd been um, the victim of abuse had suffered, um, but there was a wide range in terms of where people, for the lack of a more professional term, had landed in their lives. Mm. In other words, some people had lives, of course, consumed by mental health issues, mm. substance abuse, and some had been in and out of prison, mm. uh, and their lives had been a total train wreck. Um, but others um, had, had coped um, much better, you know, mm. in, in terms of managing things. Um, and, and quite often for those people, and yeah. the ones that, that were good enough to, you know, uh, that are his stories I heard, um, they would say that there was one person who believed in them. Wow. It might have been a sports coach, it might have been a school teacher, but one person took the trouble to be supportive of them and help them. And, and that made a massive amount of difference in their lives. That one yeah. person being uh, alert, aware and supportive and believing in them. Mm. Yeah. That's wow. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is a good enough note to end this on. That's an amazing, amazing way to end this, yeah. this conversation. Thank you very much, Bob. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Matt.
Little child, I'll take you home I'll keep you safe and make you warm At my table you will feast A bright new clothes and soft Nothing that can hurt you here No hands to touch, no one to feel No innocence has been betrayed There's no one right to take away And I would hold you Sometimes mothers fail mm-hmm. And every opportunity Never realized, never given me I give you those and then some more I don't So